0: immune disease. It's rising and conventional doctors have a little more to offer people other than drugs. A lot of times those drugs seem to accelerate the rate of the disease's progression. And uh, our guest, heretic today, Dr. Terry Walls, spent about 20 years slowly watching her health decline until she finally got the diagnosis of multiple sclerosis And uh, only three years after beginning standard therapy, she ended up in a wheelchair where she remained for four years until she began studying functional medicine, using supplements, and developing her paleo-inspired nutritional protocol, which is why I have invited her to be on the show to explain how she got out of her wheelchair and went back to work in today's episode. We interrupt this program to bring you
1: a special report.
0: If you're still confused about what to eat and not getting the results you thought you'd get by going organic, go to nutritionheretic.com and download the shit list of seven health foods to avoid like the plague for free. The shit list details what health food companies want you to believe about the crap they peddle and why the real foods they're meant to replace are far better. Stop letting big health food dump all over you and download the shit list today. Fat is bad for you. I just pop a pill and I'm fine. Meat is murder. It's time for bad food punishment. It's time for real nourishment. It's time for the nutrition heretic. The following program is provided as information only and may not be construed as medical or health advice. It is not intended to diagnose, treat, or cure any disease. No action or inaction should be taken solely on the basis of the information provided here. Please consult with a licensed healthcare professional or doctor on any matter relating to your health and well-being. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of the Nutrition Heretic Podcast. This is Adrienne Hugh, the Nutrition Heretic. As usual, I'm going to start out with um, something that's near and dear to my heart. Uh, It's actually about my mother-in-law. Uh, she died, uh, last November. Actually, she died on my dad's birthday, to be precise. Uh, and, uh, she had suffered for, hmm, the better part of, let's say, 30 years with, uh, multiple sclerosis. Uh, when I met her, she was several years into it. She was using a cane and, uh, my husband had introduced us at a lunch and and we were eating and talking about her disorder and she was complaining about the um, bus company offering a service for people who uh, were disabled uh, to basically get the bus to go down their street and drop them at home or or wherever they needed to go. Uh, And in order to do that, you had to really prove a ridiculous amount of hardship, which basically they on the on the board that decides whether or not the bus could make the detour they would have paraplegics and and people who were in even worse shape than she was uh so in other words no dice on getting that to happen but we talked about diet and i because this is when i was just learning about the role of diet in all forms of disease and i said to her well did you ever think of doing something different with your diet and she said well, you know, you don't know what you're going to get when you do that, which made absolutely no sense to me. Uh, she ended up putting her trust in her doctor, who, for all intents and purposes, continued to drug her very heavily uh, throughout the rest of her life. Uh, and by the time my daughter was born 13 years ago, uh, she, was in a, she was pretty much in a vegetative state, uh, which is where she lived the, the remainder of her life. Um, the the last words that she said that we know of was uh, she was holding my daughter and she said, I love her. It's, it's really tragic that my kids never got to know their grandmother because she was such a lovely woman. And I see people continually robbed of their lives, uh, you know, when they have such disorders and uh, really have no hope and they're given no hope by standard medicine to heal. And so for that reason, I am extremely pleased uh, to introduce our guest heretic today. She is Dr. Terry Walls. She is the author of the Walls Protocol, a radical new way to treat all chronic autoimmune conditions using paleo principles. Welcome, Dr. Walls.
1: Hey, thank you so much for having me.
0: Oh, thank you so much for being here. Sorry if I got a little sentimental. I told you this was an upbeat show and then I go into that. Uh, <laughs> but um, can, can you identify with what my mother-in-law was going through where oh my she goodness, was yeah. not, she just didn't think that, she she felt she was already beyond help?
1: Yeah, you know, I completely um, accepted what my treating physicians had told me for years and that was that. Uh, progressive MS uh, will only go uh, downhill. Functions once lost are gone forever. Yeah, and so I had no hope of recovery. Uh, and when I began my protocol, I was doing everything that I could to slow the speed of my decline. I did not expect to recover. In fact, I, I didn't believe that I was, but nor did I believe it was possible. Right. Do you consider yourself
0: completely covered, recovered at this point or do you still? Oh,
1: no, 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 no. You know, I'm continuing to improve. I continue to get stronger. Um, uh, if I get exposed to a diet or environmental fact, uh, factor, that's a problem. So if I accidentally get fed gluten. My face pain turns on uh, to horrific, horrific levels. And I need to take high dose steroids to get it turned off. And I continue to get stronger and stronger. Uh, I'm, I'm not as strong as I plan on becoming, and I uh, uh, probably don't have, uh, you know, a, a completely normal neuro exam or completely normal strength for a sixty-one-year-old. Although some people tell me I, I'm stronger than most sixty-one-year-old women, so I, I'm really not quite sure uh, there. Um, but it's, it's very clear. I continue to improve, uh, in terms of strength, stamina, neurologically, you know, I, my neuro, uh, neurologist feels I'm doing extraordinarily well and my MRIs. Um, you know, show that my brain is not atrophying. I, uh, my neurologist was joking. He said, you know, I, he, he was very impressed and he wished his brain was looking at as good and robust as mine.
0: Okay. Um, so where, where were you? Like you, you got to a point where you were in a wheelchair,
1: Oh my goodness! I had four years in a total time.
0: Holy mackerel! Okay, so wait, wait, oh, yeah.
1: wait, wait. Let's back up a
0: little bit, even from there. When? How old were you? You're Sixty-one now. Where? When were you diagnosed?
1: So I was diagnosed. Gosh, twenty years ago. Yeah,
0: yeah. That's I'm around really. the time. Yeah, that's about the same age that my mother-in-law was, like late thirties. Uh, yeah, when she well, was no, diagnosed.
1: Let me back up. Actually, I was diagnosed uh, in 2000, so 16 years ago. Okay. Um, Uh, In retrospect, my symptoms began when I was in medical school. Mm -hmm. uh, And so I first began to have symptoms uh, probably in 1980. Okay. Okay. So 1980 till, wow. Wow. That's, that's
0: insane. So, um, and then, and then you saw the, like, when did you know there was a problem that it wasn't just fatigue from being a medical
1: student? So uh, sort of Um. I knew I was having episodes of electrical face pain, uh, which I, you know, because as a resident, yeah, you know, as a medical student and then a resident, there's too much work to do to go off to see a physician. Um, and I knew these this electrical pain was sort of come and go. It was worse with stress. Um, when after I finished residency, entered uh, private practice, it finally was just so unpleasant. I, I finally went to see a neurologist. Uh, And so that would have been in 1987 uh, uh, that I saw the neurologist uh, and he told me I had a neuralgia, gave me some uh, Tegretol, which was somewhat helpful, uh, but I developed a drug rash and then all the other drugs he tried uh, were not helpful. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, then a uh, a couple years later, I had an episode of dim vision in my left eye saw the neurologist on call, um, had a big workup, uh, and there was no clear explanation. Uh, And then in 2000, I had uh, a new problem with uh, weakness in my left leg and some stumbling. Mm. Uh, That's when I uh, uh, went and uh, got a big workup, including the MRI and spinal tap, and uh, then was diagnosed with MS.
0: Wow. Wow. Yeah. My, that's, that's, uh, very similar to, uh, my mother-in-law. And, and I remembered her kind of pointing this out with several people, uh, you know, the, the stumbling and, uh, you know, sudden loss of control of one side of the body, you know, not quite a stroke, but, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you know, for, but yeah, just that, that, uh, feeling of weakness, um, on, on one side of the body. So um yeah that's that's a heck of a time and then like once you got the the diagnosis did you go down did you, you know no. did your health deteriorate more rapidly at that point was it did you find the i guess my, my my question might be did you find whatever treatment or or you know pain relief whatever that they were offering you at the time was that in any way accelerating things or what do you think that you
1: it was just kind of same as always you know, at the time I was diagnosed, you know, I'm an academic internal medicine doc, you know, professor of medicine. And so at that time, I knew that within 10 years of diagnosis, one half will be unable to work due to severe fatigue. And one third will have problems walking, needing a cane, walker, or a wheelchair. And so I naturally knew I wanted to treat my disease very aggressively. Um, and I uh, looked for the best MS center in the Midwest, which was the Cleveland Clinic, saw them, saw people here at the University of Iowa, and uh, you know, took the newest drugs and continued to go downhill. Within three years, my disease had transitioned to secondary progressive MS. And that's the phase where there is no more spontaneous improvement. Uh, like in, uh, my neurologists were very, were always very clear that functions once lost, uh, are gone. Uh, and so treat your disease aggressively. And, uh, then when that new, so I took, um, uh, you know, the ABC drugs, uh, that, that didn't help out much. Uh, then I took, uh, when I got in the wheelchair, uh, mitoxantrone, which is a form of chemotherapy, that did not help. Then I took Tizabri, that first of the biologic drugs that uh, can be so helpful for some people. That did not help. Mm. Uh, And then I uh, started taking uh, Celsept, which is another form of immune suppressing drugs. Uh, And then, you know, that was 2004, and I'm like, you know, I'm probably gonna become bedridden by my illness, quite Mm. possibly demented. And that's when I decided that I should start reading the basic science uh, papers because the basic scientists are discovering what we in the clinical world will be doing in 20 to 30 years. So I start reading about the mouse and rat studies, first about drug studies, and then I finally go like, well, that's stupid. I can't get to those drugs. Uh, So then I started reading about vitamins and supplement studies, and I would begin experimenting Uh, adding uh, vitamins and supplements you know gradually one by one and my conclusion was that uh, these things you know they weren't doing a damn thing so after about six months I was pissed off and I stopped them and I couldn't get out of bed uh, the next day and uh, three days later my significant other said you know honey I think I gotta take these vitamins uh, again And so I took them and the next morning I, I felt better and went to work and I thought wow that is really interesting. Right, uh, right. So I thought, well, let's try that again. So two weeks later, I stopped them, and I was immediately uh, completely exhausted. I had, struggled getting, I had struggled getting out of bed, and I waited three days and started them up again, and then I was able to get up and function. So I was exhilarated, because now, like, well, maybe they must be doing something. that Maybe they're slowing the decline, and uh, so now I was really fired up about reading the basic science, paying attention, and sort of tinkering uh, and experimenting on myself. So uh, that was very, very exhilarating. I can imagine. Now, what you talk about, uh, you
0: actually studied functional medicine, correct?
1: Yeah. You know, in the summer of 2007, I discovered at the Institute for Functional Medicine, they had a course on neuroprotection, which I ordered and took. Mind you, uh, Ms. Hugh, this is in the midst of my brain fog. So, you know, I'm I'm at my kitchen table going through these presentations, listening to these lectures, and my kids are laughing at me because they're like, Mom, you, you know, you're going over the same material again and again. I go, yes, I know, I am. This is hard stuff. But I then created a much longer list of vitamins and supplements that I added, and I was exhilarating because, you know, This was really getting at more of the biochemistry, more of the mitochondria. And not a whole lot was happening. And then I had uh, really another big aha moment, which was I should reorganize that paleo diet that I've been following, uh, but now using my long list of vitamins uh, to figure out where, where that was in the food supply and organizing my diet to maximize the intake of those nutrients. And, of course, that's more research and, you know, a few more months of work. But, uh, you know, in January, I had this new diet, these new list of foodstuffs to eat, which really would become the Wall's uh, diet. And that's when the magic uh, began. Right, right. I mean, that's... the. I get so
0: many questions now <laughs> from that. Um, first of all, how would you characterize the walls diet or WALS protocol to be different yeah. from just a standard paleo diet? You know, there, I see a lot yeah. of people. You know, it, it's. I, I've always hesitated to name anything that I do because then people get very locked into the the. Uh, yeah. You know, just just the, the those parameters. Yeah. So
1: let, let's sort of back up. Um, So so glossed over some of my story. Oh, sorry. um, I'm a uh, farmer's daughter. Uh, My parents were uh, small Iowa farmers. And during college, I I rebelled by becoming a vegetarian. My parents knew I was destroying my health. So they were very upset and um, berated me for doing this thing. And that just made me more stubborn. And so I would go on to be a vegetarian for about 20 years. Ouch. Yeah. Uh, and it was in, uh, after the second year of my MS diagnosis, my Cleveland Clinic doctor said, introduced me to Lauren Cordain and the paleo diet. And so I read through that. And after some thoughts and prayers, um, I decided to go back to eating meat. And both my parents were dead by that time, so they never got to say, I told you so. <laughs> and, you know, I gave up all grain, all legumes, all dairy. And so I was implementing the paleo diet the way Lauren Cordain uh, wrote about it. Uh, and I continued to go downhill. And the next year, I needed a wheelchair. So the paleo diet did not fix me. Okay. My paleo friends get really mad that I keep saying that. But it did not fix me. Um, adding vitamins and supplements did not fix me. Functional medicine, adding their long list of vitamins and supplements might have fixed me, but before I gave it a really a long time, it, it did cause a dramatic change. It was when I took that long list of vitamins and supplements and said, let me reorganize my paleo diet to make sure I'm getting all these things in my diet. And what I discovered was, um, I, so I had these lo- long list of foods to be eating, uh and I you know was uh emphasizing organ meat um a lot of green leafy vegetables uh in the cabbage family onion family, mushroom family vegetables and things that were deeply colored and pigmented and when I started emphasizing more what you need to eat as opposed to what you should not be eating, uh-huh. exactly that is when the magic began. You know many of my paleo friends are all about the meat, yeah, and not much else. Right, and, and I'm all about the vegetables and enough meat. So you're meeting your protein requirement, but not high levels. of it. Right. And I'm also very particular about what vegetable groups I want you to be eating so that we're getting uh, foods that are going to help your brain make the brain structures that you need, help you process and eliminate the toxins that we all have stored in our body. Uh, to help you make more nerve growth factors right uh, and to help your mitochondria uh, generate energy more efficiently, right so so I, 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 uh, and I also point out that in the paleo world we we recognize that that we have many, 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 many uh, traditional societies that were hunter gatherers that adapted their foods to what was fresh and season locally available for that region. Right. And those societies knew how to create a diet that maximized nutrient density That's- given the foods that were available. All of us in westernized society, we don't have any of that ancient wisdom. Mm-mm. So we need to give our our clients, my patients, <laughs> a structure that they can easily remember that will let them maximize their nutrient density. So, their brain can build the stuff it needs to build and their mitochondria can run uh, the mitochondrial furnace efficiently. I, if I just give them food lists, that's not very helpful. It's not practical. It doesn't let people adapt it to what's fresh in season and in their region. Yeah. Uh, and so, as I was teaching these concepts, first uh, to my uh, veteran patients and then to the public, you know, when I first i I just talked about food groups and realized, no, no, I, I've got to create a teachable uh, structure, and that's how I I came up with the green, sulfur, color groups. Mm. Uh, and then I wanted to be sure that I could give people a way to step gradually into this diet, so that's how we came up with the three levels. Ah, uh, I see, I
0: see, and you know, I, this is uh, something that I I really love what you said because it's something that i've been trying to pound through people's head which is focus on what you w- want not on what you don't want so yeah. where a lot of diets and probably even more so than the than the paleo side of the equation would be the um the the vegan you know, vegetarian side. It's like, okay, I don't eat meat. You know, like that's just kind of the mantra. I don't eat meat. But then you look at some of the stuff people put into their bodies, and you're like, seriously? And it's you, all
1: stone white flour. you, you are not meat, but they aren't eating protein. They aren't eating vegetables. No, and it's like, oh my god, you are wrecking your health.
0: Right. And even some of the ones who are eating vegetables, they, they lose their taste for vegetables. And I, I think there is, uh, actually, I, I know, I, I've seen this for 20 years, that the, the the more animal foods people exclude, the the more of a penchant they'll have towards sweet, because there are certain amino acid uh, neurotransmitters that oh. are lacking in the diet, and it drives them to crave these very unhealthy things. That's, you know, one of the reasons why you'll see a lot of people on, on macrobiotics smoke, you know, they're, they're all about the health until it comes to cigarettes (laughs) or, you know, many of my, many of my, uh, vegan friends are, are doing all kinds of drugs and, and, uh, alcohol and what have you, because, you know, there's something lacking in their brain that their brain is like, no, I need to feel this way. I need to feel this way. Give it to me. Just make sure there's no meat in it, you know? <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. You know, and because they might have initially felt really uh, uh, an improvement of their health when they became vegetarian or vegan, right. uh, and because their uh, they used up their micronutrients gradually mm-hmm. and had the gradual change in their health status, it's often very difficult for them to consider the possibility that they're the way they've interpreted their vegan or vegetarian diet uh, is part of their health problem. Absolutely, absolutely. And and I'll say the same thing for the uh, ketogenic and the paleo eaters. Mm -hmm. Um, All of us who who are in modern societies, we're just trying to interpret our diets as best we can with the rules that whoever gave them to you. And we can all really wreck our health if we aren't careful about it. Yeah, the ketogenic folks may feel just great the first eighteen months, but if they aren't really, and ketogenic diets are like vegan and vegetarian diets, they're very hard to do extremely well and maintain nutrient density. Absolutely, you have to really work at it. So after eighteen months, if you've not been really working at it, you're depleting your micronutrients again and can have a gradual worsening of your health status. Right, I, I tell pain, everybody that. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and and the paleo eaters, particularly the people who just eat meat, are going to uh, run into a different set of problems. Or the folks who are doing the elimination diet get a narrower and narrower and narrower list of foods that they'll eat. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can develop this orthorexia where they're uh, literally starving themselves to death. Absolutely. So I, I get concerned uh, when people say that uh, their dietary interpretation is the only one that's. Um, can possibly lead to health uh, or that uh, there can never be a downside, um, whatever their uh, dietary regimen is.
0: Right. And, and again, that's why I've hesitated naming anything I ever re- recommend for people because people are like, well, you have to give it a catchy name. And then people you know, will follow it. And I'm saying, but you don't seem to understand. You, we are cyclical like every other animal in the wild knows that certain times of year, certain times of day, certain things get eaten Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. the human seems to want to find this nice cookie cutter road to follow and then just do that for the rest of their lives.
1: um, I'd say free living humans, uh, traditional societies knew to not do that. The rest of us uh, in our mind, we're, we're down that path Uh, for myself. I've, um, uh, because I really like to follow a seasonality to my dietary choices. Um, and I'm eating what's fresh, uh, in season and out of my garden. Um, so I'll, I'll do a more, more ketogenic focused diet during the winter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm eating, uh, out of my garden during the summer. And if I'm out of ketosis, that's fine. I do a um, low glycemic index diet. And so I might be in and out of ketosis during the summer. But
0: mm-hmm. I don't
1: mind eating my berries. I don't mind eating my squashes uh, during the summer.
0: Right, right. Yeah, there's, there, there is definitely um, something to be said for that. And part of the reason why I hold true to, to that is because I studied Chinese dietetics. And, and you know, in the Chinese model, just like, like you said, traditional societies, traditional dietary models, you see that. And, uh, you know, you're, for example, you clearly cannot have wheat because of what's going on with you, but that doesn't mean that it's wrong for everyone because in, in sure. Chinese medicine, there are uses for wheat in healing the body. Uh, you know, there's, I mean, there's, you know what I'm saying? Like, in other words, just that anything that can be somebody, one person's poison could, could serve somebody else very well. It, so it we may be, never- okay.
1: it, it be, it may be tolerated by someone else. Yes was definitely true. So if you
0: didn't have, because you you're, you were already an internal medicine doc, mm-hmm. um, if you didn't have this personal health crisis, do you think you would have ever even looked in the direction eventually of vitamins, functional medicine?
1: Well, you know, I, I, I tell um, my followers and whenever I'm giving this lecture that I am profoundly grateful to become as desperately ill as I did because that gave me the place to be willing to re-examine everything and to have to go back and relearn uh, basic science. I had to be desperately ill to be willing to learn what I did uh, to discover uh, make all the discoveries uh, that I have and to now have this amazing story that uh, I get to use to help teach other people why diet uh, and lifestyle are so powerful. If I had been in great health, you know, still being an athlete, still being so strong, still, you know, doing taekwondo, all that stuff, I would probably still be a, a, a conventional um, internal medicine uh, doc, um, and I'd still be thinking that the way to make people well is to use the latest drugs, newest technology. Right. Did
0: your experience and coming out? almost on, completely on the other side. <laughs> you, sound, you sound like you're doing great. I mean, you were bedridden. You're, I'm doing very you, well. You have a, you have a, a thriving practice now. Um, yeah. And you're clearly, you know, not, not doing like 10-hour weeks. So do, do you come to your job now, your work, with a different sense of compassion for the people who come through the door than you had oh, before?
1: Um, oh, yeah, of course. You know, uh, before I began to become well, uh, one of the uh, lect- one of my uh, partners invited me to participate in the introduction to clinical medicine, uh, and uh, we wrote a, uh, a case um, where the students evaluate and learn bit by bit uh, about clinical medicine over four weeks. We did a case related to the initial diagnosis of MS. Uh, and so that was a lot of fun. And normally. The person who writes the case then does a lecture about the pathophysiology of that disease. And instead, I did a lecture about what it was like to go through uh, the evaluation and then to be diagnosed with a progressive disorder for which there's no effective treatment. And so I, was, I found great meaning and satisfaction out of teaching the medical students uh, what, it, uh, what it was like to take care of uh, people with chronic diseases. In the uh, role of physical therapy, occupational therapy, uh, helping people find meaning in their life. So, being ill uh, taught me a whole lot about uh, managing pain and maintaining function and making sure people have uh, meaning in their life. And then, of course, getting to figure out that diet and lifestyle is how you, uh, and and creating health is how you treat most chronic diseases most effectively. It gave me a, a new. Uh, point of view and a, a new mission uh, that I now teach the medical students and residents in uh, my colleagues and the public. Right. Do, do you, do you sometimes feel like
0: you were chosen for this path? I don't know how metaphysical you get, but, <laughs> but I do, I yes, do think there, sure there I is, do. I do think there is a certain blessing within disease. Uh, there,
1: you know, uh, and I spent a lot of time talking uh, to my, uh, to everyone about this, that, we have an opportunity to find the gift in our circumstances, always. Mm-hmm. In that, my patients who come to me with the diagnosis of cancer or a terminal illness from which they're going to die uh, taught me fairly early on in my career that uh, some of these folks would come in and say, "You know, cancer—it's just been such a profound gift." And I'm like, "But, but you're going to die," I said. "Yes, and I know that I'm going to die, and I had this opportunity to reconcile." with all these important people in my life. That, and now I'm going to spend my last year doing what really matters in life. Exactly. Uh, and so uh, that was a very powerful lesson. As I was getting more and more disabled, um, I thought a lot about, okay, I have to find the gift of my illness. And my gift was that I could model uh, resilience to my kids. I could get up and go to work no matter how tough it was. And that I thought I was going to teach my kids how to be strong by doing taekwondo and whitewater rafting and wilderness camping. But that wasn't to be, I was going to teach them resilience by modeling, going to work, staying positive and that they would become more effective people by having chores that they really had to do because I was becoming more disabled. But I remember my, my uh, 10-year-old daughter complaining bitterly about having to do the laundry that, you know, mom, none of my friends, they know nothing about the laundry. They know nothing about laundry soap, nothing about uh, uh, fabric conditioner, nothing about the cycles on the dryer or the washing machine. It is so not fair. I'm like, yep, Zad, you're completely right. It's completely not fair that you have to do these things. It is so not fair. I understand why you're pissed off and angry, but it's also not fair that I have MS. It's also not fair that I can't stand up really anymore to doing this stuff. And I'm just really grateful I can still work. I'm not sure how much longer I can. Uh, and it's not fair, but you have to do the laundry. It's your job, and you're the one doing it. It's my job to earn money while I can. And uh, Zach helps, you know, make supper. Uh, and. You you blah blah. blah. And she goes, Mom, I think you are glad you have Emma so you can lecture us about these things. <laughs> I said, Well, there is some gifts there, yes. <laughs> and and is, that, is sort of embarrassed now that I still tell that that's true. So well mom, I was only ten. I said, Yes, you're only ten. And, and can you imagine very, the mouth on you? <laughs> it, and it was difficult, That it wasn't fair. And of course that hardship really made you uh the person you are today. Right. And so, you know, both of my kids were I think much more uh mature and resilient than uh many of their friends uh because they had the opportunity to have chores that they knew were you know needed to happen, even though they might have been cranky about it. Just like I was cranky growing up on the farm, I was mad about the chores I had to do. Right. Um and after I left the farm and went to college, man, I missed all those tours. And I brought my uh, college friends home to help muck the cows. And that was like a huge treat with my college friends to uh, get to help me muck the cows for a weekend.
0: Right. Yeah, it's it's amazing how so many of those skills that everybody, well, give or take, but you know, m- many people at least knew how it was done, more or less, even if they didn't need to do it themselves, uh how the 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 return to that and how fascinating it is for people who had never been exposed to it before it's it like you said it's it's such a gift uh and uh th- this weekend i was lucky to uh we have no end of just interesting classes here in hawaii and uh, i went to a beekeeping class and just seeing you, you well first of all your story about your daughter reminded me of the bees because they have this you know, they're, they're one organism, the entire colony is an organism that works for the betterment of the colony. And yeah. I say this to my kids all the time, because, you know, my daughter, she's got to clean up after dinner, one puts the dishes away, you know, like they have their little chores that are age appropriate, uh, you know, putting the laundry in, folding, that kind of stuff. And they're like, yeah, my friends don't have to do this. And I'm saying, but, you know, I want you to grow up with a sense of purpose and a sense of, of uh, having a place, you know, ha- knowing how to take care of yourself because God knows what, what tomorrow brings. And you, you know, it, you know, it's better for me to be here and mentor you than you not being able to do it at all. <laughs> one yeah. Day. Yeah. Yeah. You know,
1: and they'll, they'll be cranky. And there'll be some days that they're happy about it and they'll be cranky and they'll go back and forth. But uh it, it's so helpful for us to have those uh, conversations with our kids, yeah, for sure
0: for sure and and that's a reminder to anyone else out there who's dealing with this and still trying to to uh meet all of their children's needs, even if their children are technically old enough to take care of some of those needs uh yeah. Now, tell me a little bit about the E-stim therapy because I found this pretty oh, fascinating, sure. and, and I've heard variations of this. How does how did that help you, or you, you believe you know, it helps?
1: It's um, uh, certainly been part of our protocol. Uh, uh, the E-stim uh, is used to provide a current over uh, to the skin over the motor nerves to, that stimulate the contraction of the muscle, uh, and. It is done uh, most commonly for uh, athletes to speed uh, recovery after injury or after surgery. It is, there are some uh, studies, uh, and I sort of keep track of this, where it's been tested now in a variety of conditions like cerebral palsy, uh, stroke, um, uh, arthritis, uh, lung disease, heart disease, um, uh, spinal cord injury. I study it in uh, MS, and that it helps speed recovery and improve function in people with spinal cord injury. It helps maintain uh, bone health, muscle health, and um, metabolic health. Mm-hmm. Uh, it will probably never be FDA approved for any of these disease states. Um, it may have some physical therapy indications. Um, and for people who are willing to pay out of pocket uh to have test sessions to see if they tolerate it, and then work with a physical therapist to design a program and uh it may be very helpful. Although not everyone can tolerate it. You know, some folks find the e uh just uh too uh painful, too unpleasant. Mm. Uh yeah, it's just not an option for them. Mm. Interesting, interesting. Um
0: yeah, it, actually when I was reading that that um uh snippet about uh East STEM therapy, it reminded me of a book that I keep mentioning on this uh show <laughs> but uh there was a woman uh who her name was Hazel Parcells and back in the uh in the early forties she was diagnosed with uh tuberculosis and given six weeks to live. Uh she was a hairdresser. And, you know, back in those days, they had these, uh, those, you know, all those like crazy contraptions at the hair salon. <laughs> and one of them was, oh yeah. and I think she also, she must have done, I want to say it was like, you know, one of those body machines, you know, like the, you know, like the old belts or whatever. But she had something that she had to manually hold on to the woman for whatever fat blasting. I don't know what she was doing with it. <laughs> <laughs> and so she would hold this thing and she would get this electrical jolt from it. And in her book, she says that she thinks that, it, in addition to changing her diet dramatically and, and all that stuff, she felt that uh, the reason why her kid her kidney started to regenerate itself because she was down to I think a quarter of her kidney, and next thing she knows, she goes back uh, six months later, and the doctor's like, "We thought you died," and she she was like, "No," and then they tested her again. They found out that she had three quarters of her kidney now. The That's one that so had the one that had had. Uh, uh, you know was was um or two- thirds of it, uh, the one that was uh, uh, decaying. And she attributed part of why she thought that was regenerating to these electro these electrical impulses that were going through her hand at the same time that she was treating people in her salon. So I thought that was interesting. That interesting. was really, really, really fascinating. so I, I always make these kind of connections uh, when i when I see other books mentioning similar uh, similar techniques. So um you know we're going to we're going to actually wrap up soon. You know there was one quote that I really loved from your book uh where you say or at least it was actually I I didn't get the, the full book I'll I'll be honest. <laughs> I was uh given the um kind of the foreword to the book and you said you don't have to wait until all the proof comes in and is vetted by the medical community. What does that mean to you now like you know when you when you think about that and and so people like my mother in law who's like i'm afraid yeah. of what's going to happen if i because bee therapy for example was one of the things they were talking about 20 sure. years ago when i met her i don't know if that's still on the table uh but so you know what well, does I,
1: mean? um uh, when i wrote the book i explained the science um of what i was doing the science behind it the um uh, and why i designed and picked up the interventions that I did, uh, and then said, "This is my experience, and this is what I see in my clinics as I use diet and lifestyle." And then I said, "And uh, this, uh, these are the preliminary research that we're doing. And yes, we we don't have randomized, double-blind, controlled trials. Uh, and of course, you you never will exactly. But if you're comfortable that we have hundreds, if not thousands, of studies that say eating more vegetables." Uh, lowers your risk of all-cause mortality of heart, uh, of heart disease, of neurologic disorders, autoimmune disorders, uh, cancers, mental health problems. If you're comfortable that we have hundreds if not thousands of papers that say uh, doing a wide variety of stress-reducing practices lower your risk of those same diseases. And we, again, have hundreds and thousands of studies that say adding more physical activity into your life will lower your risk of all those things. And we may not have those studies for your particular disease state, but you can have uh, confidence that there is a robust body of literature that these things are pretty safe and they're associated with improved health outcomes. Uh, And so I invite people, like, if this makes sense to you, do an experiment on yourself and see how you feel doing it. If it doesn't make sense to you and you really need to see randomized double-blind control trials that have been confirmed by multiple researchers before you'll do anything, then that's what you should do. Right. Uh, And we have thousands and thousands of people trying these concepts and reporting wonderful success. Right. And I've had over two and a half million people watch my TED talk, and I'm sure uh, many of those folks have gone to their doctor and say, well, what about eating more vegetables? Would that be good for me? And hopefully their doctor said, yeah. And if they didn't, they should be firing their doctors. Absolutely.
0: You know, that, that's the the one thing that scares me the most is how many doctors can be discouraging about something as simple as changing your diet. And not not to something totally radical, but just, you know, ditching the, the bisquick or
1: what what is that stuff called? A bisquick. You know, yeah, adding vegetables. Uh, I appreciate that people have a hard time giving up whole grains. Right. Uh, that That feels very confusing. Uh, adding vegetables should not meditating should not moving more should not and you could decide to give up uh the grain uh, and legumes uh for a month yeah that should not get everybody into trouble and then they could decide if they want to uh, add it back or not right well you know i think i think part of it is that so
0: many people are have been uh co-opted by the weight loss diet stuff and they don't seem to realize that many, if not most, of the weight loss approaches are pretty unhealthy. you know they're starving you of nutrients starving you of calories, you know sending your body into starvation literally uh they're you know, they're not only starving on the when i say nutrients, not just the the minerals and vitamins but also the macronutrients that we need as catalysts for the uptake of many of of the phytochemicals, for example and You you know, you talk about just giving these things up for a month. And it's kind of funny when you see the flags people will put up after telling me that they've done a grapefruit diet and a bone broth diet and, you know, something where they only ate one thing for a month or two months or six months or whatever. And then you say something like, "Okay, well, you know, I think maybe whole grains should be out of the picture for now or just grains, period, or whatever, particular uh, Garlic, you know, <laughs> I know garlic yeah. sets off some people, and they will just they'll come out at you with like, oh, well, I can't do it without the variety of foods. What am I going to eat? There's nothing left, and it's like, seriously, seriously, like you know, if you if I had a choice between MS and wheat, I'd give up wheat. <laughs> you know, I think I don't think that's, that's pretty straightforward, hard. wouldn't it? Yeah, you would think, but uh unfortunately, I guess people, everybody's coming at it from a different place. So I guess you just have to be patient and tolerant and, you know, don't bitch at me if it doesn't work out <laughs> doing it your way. Okay. Just, just come back when you're ready. So, yeah. Uh, well, congratulations to you. Uh, I mean, you, the, the fact that you've been able to turn this around, you've got family to take care of. Kudos. And, to you. That's awesome. um,
1: we're having more and more recognition. The, the national MS society uh, just gave us a million dollars to uh, conduct uh, a research uh, comparing the Walls diet to the Swank diet. Uh, we're recruiting people now, and uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing um, how, you know, how this turns out. Uh, what's this other diet? The Swank diet? The Swank diet. It's a low saturated fat diet mm-hmm. that uh, uh, many in the MS community also, uh, also follow. Uh, swank used a low-saturated fat diet, followed 144 people over 50 years, and did have some uh, favorable observations. So we're comparing two diets that have some favorable uh, research uh, for those two diets. Right, right. Well, one thing I
0: learned early, actually even before I officially started studying nutrition, uh, I was talking to someone at the Price Pottinger Foundation, uh, and he said, well, you know, what people don't realize is that any diet that focuses on real food will help at least in the beginning. Yes, and th- it's the longer term outcomes that we're concerned about because you have to understand when to adapt and change. But if you get stuck in this mode where just that diet—sort of what we were talking about before—just that vegan, paleo, whatever diet—is the prescription, then you're, you're you know you're just going to end up right back at square one at, with no other solution. At hand, because you know, you at some point you have to understand the cyclical nature of things. You know, once the the stores the the uh, the, uh, the, the stores of nutrients, for example, that you have have been met, now you've got to start tweaking and and learning what other things fit into that. And that's where uh, a lot of the eating with nature, like you talk about eating with the seasons, uh, comes in. Is that uh, you know, once you kind of you get your foundation, now you can start building on top of that. So, um, with that, I wanted to thank you so much. Again, our guest heretic today is Dr. Terry Walls, doctor of internal medicine and author of The Walls Protocol, a radical new way to treat all chronic autoimmune conditions using paleo principles. And her website is at terrywalls.com. Uh, this, this grant that you got are people are, how, how will you be selecting people to, to, uh, participate in it?
1: They have to be uh, living in Iowa or one of our contiguous states uh, oh. next to us. Okay. So I'm, I'm uh, sad to tell you that Hawaii uh, will be too far away.
0: <laughs> well, we uh, have listeners all over. <laughs>
1: but uh, if they live here in uh, Iowa or one of the contiguous states, uh, they should um, reach out to our uh, study at MS. Uh, diet study at uh, healthcare.uiowa.edu. And what I'll do is I'll send, uh, the links, uh, to our, um, uh, email that people could reach out to, to get screened. Awesome. I'll send it to, uh, Crystal, so she'll have that. Okay. Fantastic. Thank
0: you so much. Yeah, I would, uh, you know, uh, if there are people out there listening, you know, someone who lives in, uh, one of the contiguous states with, uh, Dr. Walls, please do reach out to her and, uh, you know, through the website, we'll have the links on the, uh, on the blog. And uh, again, I actually want to reiterate, I want to actually spell the name of of your website, which is T-E-R-R-Y-W-A-H-L-S.com. I realized after I said it that some people may not know how to spell Terry Walls. <laughs> you might be Terry ah, with an I. Ah. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you so much for spending the time with us today and for educating us uh, about the fact that not everything is written in stone and that recovery uh, is possible. And, um, you know, it, it takes work, but it, it can be a gift, uh, a really I always think of it as a gift to thwart off anything worse down the road. Uh, So um, I I am so pleased to hear, to literally hear you uh, and to hear you thriving. uh, Because unfortunately, in in my experience, uh, you know, the the closest person to me who had MS, uh, by now she was uh, really, you know, she couldn't even hold her head up. Uh, So um, I, I am just, I'm, actually kind of touched inside to, to hear someone who has uh, overcome what you have. Thank
1: you for being with us. You're very welcome, Adrian. All right. Bye-bye. The
0: Nutrition Heretic Podcast is a production of Save the Journey, LLC. Our audio editor is Nikola Popovich. Our podcast manager is Crystal McLean, and our operations manager is Linda Hansen. I'm your host, Adrian Hugh, the Nutrition Heretic. You can find us at nutritionheretic.com where you can download the Nutrition Heretics free shit list of 7 health foods to avoid like the plague. You can also listen to previous episodes at nutritionheretic.com/podcast. Be sure to like us on social media for updates. Our Facebook page is facebook.com/nutritionheretic and on Twitter at nutriheretic contact us with show ideas, questions, or if you just want to be a guest. And don't forget to rate our podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. Thanks!